Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. You're a man recovering from some illness. I am a person who is amidst chaos, I suppose, but it's it's interesting. <laughs> Living amidst and chaos, interesting. That kind of leads us to being a couple days late with <laughs> continuing our review of Dominaria United. I feel like at this point, it, it should be a top 10 day. But it's not. We still have we still have cards to go over, previews, quote unquote, to talk about, and we're gonna try and wrap a top ten this weekend. But you know, stuff comes up with you, stuff comes up with me. We're doing our best. Yeah, that's the intention. I know people enjoy the top ten shows. I enjoy the top ten shows. It's gonna happen. But it felt like we hadn't given this set uh, its due exploration yet. And I think like just getting to the conclusion of top ten isn't the only thing people are here for. I think they also want to know our takes on a, a broader subset of cards, the things that are floating just outside the top 10. I mean, basically, like when we sit down to make our top 10, it's going to be a culling of these two podcasts, these lists that we've made and these cards that we think are interesting to talk about. So I think it's important to set the stage first, running a little bit behind, probably blame that mostly on my illness, but doing our best to catch up and hopefully people are enjoying the slower pace to content. I know like it's, it's fitting a little bit better with my own play patterns at this point. Like my old approach to set release was buy all the cards day one, play a bunch of decks. I don't want to do that anymore. I've, I'm <laughs> kind of just like off that with arena, but I do want to play some limited and then build up a collection and, you know, participate in arena that way. I think that's a way healthier, way more, economically friendly way to engage with arena. So that's what I'm doing these days. It absolutely Uh, is. But back in the day, if we had like a PTQ this next weekend or something, it's like, well, all right, just got to buy some cards. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you know, take the plunge and I'm sure some people are still in that spot. Like there's, there's probably like a standard PTQ or a standard tournament that matters. Right. Is there? (laughs) Maybe. Uh, no, not that uh, I know of. I, okay. It's it's funny because uh, Josh had a standard RCQ last weekend that oh. he could have gone to if he wanted to. Just like actual, literal last week of the format. I don't I get wonder, it. I wonder how attended that was. Well, he didn't go. Yeah. And that was after we went to, to RCQs every weekend, basically. Yeah. No, I, I mean, you, at, at least I would have to spend a lot of money in that spot for a lot of cards that I was never going to use again. The bright side is I'm kind of just making assumptions here, but like I'm guessing a lot of the standard stuff is not that expensive because no one uses it. There's just weird outliers though. Like things like, like meat hook massacre. And I mean, I don't know the, the planeswalkers are all okay ish. I, I recently got my wandering emperors and they were like less than planeswalkers used to be. So that that's true. That, I mean, that's like a Pioneer card, though. Meat Hook Massacre, yes, but also the rest of that deck, if you're talking about some Rakdos sacrifice thing, is like commons on commons. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that bad. Mana bases, mana bases are pretty cheap. Uh, Yeah, for the most part. And yeah. some of it I already had, too, if yeah. I wanted to play like Pathways and Pioneer or something, right? So a lot of that has crossover. But yep. Anyway, last week we did White, Blue, and Black. Now we are doing... The rest of the set, I thought, oh man, this is going to be like a super long show. Maybe there's a ton of cards. There are a lot of cards that I like, but it's not overwhelming. I think this is going to be okay. 
Yeah, and I, I also think like a lot of the multicolor stuff is really commander focused in this set. So we get to not really engage with a good portion of it and just talk about the stuff that's interesting to us. How dare you? I love some of these cards. That's fine. You can love right. them. I'm not saying don't love them. All right. Red cards. You ready? Yes. Defiler of Instinct. 2RR44 creature, Phyrexian Kavu. First strike. And then this is the cycle of the things that give your things of that color a Phyrexian mana symbol. So I'm going to read this, and then I'm just going to summarize the text basically for the green ones. I don't have to read this again. As an additional cost to cast red permanent spells, you may pay two life. Those spells cost R less to cast if you paid life this way. This effect reduces only the amount of red mana you pay. Got it? Got it. Cool. Got it. Whenever, Whenever you cast a red permanent spell... This deals one damage to any target. So four mana, four, four, first strike. Your your other stuff has a Phyrexian red mana and then your permanence. And then when you play a red permanent spell, this deals one to any target. So I think the dream with a lot of these things is like play this, immediately play a one drop for the blue one where you're drawing cards. It's like, you know, hope you chain off with one drops or whatever. Yep. yep. Uh, and then if you get to untap with this thing, maybe you just get to do a lot of stuff. But I think it's, a lot about finding what the best effect is. And I would kind of expect a red version of something like this in a cycle to be like just one to each opponent or something, but this is mm-hmm. like a target. So this, mm-hmm. this is going to do some, some master core duty. Uh, obviously you're going to run out of mana, run out of permanence to cast whatever. So this is not super reliable, but if you're talking about like, picking off some tokens to clear the way or getting rid of some planeswalkers or dealing like the last few points of damage or whatever, stacking these up in multiples is great. You know, there's upside here. I, I think the context of the format is everything with this card because it has the potential to be the actual best of the cycle in standard, I think. Like that's completely within the realm of possibility. If there's a lot of one toughness things floating around, if the pace of games falls a certain way, you know, if there's time to do Defiler of Instinct stuff, then that certainly... Uh, it's a huge bump in its favor. And, you know, anytime you're dealing with the cheaper version of the cycle, so you're just getting a 4-4 four, for four, 4, acceptable deal. First strike, very, very good in red. Combines well, uh, not so much with the ability because you expect not to have a lot of permanence with flash. So it, it is a little predictable. But still, like, it's a good way to force through in a, in a 5 toughness blocker. Just put a point of damage on them. And then uh, instinct, the Filer of Instinct comes even harder to block. So I think context is so, so important with this card. Maybe facially, it looks like it does less than things, like especially the blue one where you're getting a full card. But in terms of impact, this could be huge if X1s are the order of the day. It's way easier to find red permanents worth playing than like cheap blue permanents worth playing. Just in Especially with the way red decks are built now. Like they're just yes. always permanent focused. So you're, you're going to be looking at a deck of probably like 30 permanents most of the time and trigger, triggering this thing all over the place with a lot of cheap permanents as well. So. Yeah, and like I said, you get to double up on these things, and it seems pretty good. Yeah, big fan of this card. The Elder Dragon War. 2RR Enchantment Saga. Read ahead. Skipped any chapter if you and start on that chapter. If you do, you don't do the other ones. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, it's intuitive enough. It's just weird, but it, it, it works the way you would expect it to. Yeah. Uh, chapter 1. This deals 2 damage to each creature and each opponent. Chapter two, discard any number of cards, then draw that many cards. Chapter three, create a 4-4 red dragon creature token with flying. Uh, As far as 
mid-range things are concerned, you get a little pyroclasm, which is pretty nice. If you're playing against uh, an opponent where that is not super relevant, you can just skip that, skip go right to the yeah. filtering thing, or you could also just skip right to the dragon. So you get a 4-4, a little sweeper, some card filtering. It seems solid, not... Not, you know, blowing the doors off or anything, but the utility, I think, is very nice. Yeah, we talked about the uh, Rakdos midrange deck in Pioneer and how it succeeds off its modality. Like, it, it is just one of the most modal decks you've you've ever seen. This is the start of that in the standard space. Like, I think power level means that this card probably doesn't reach that far back. But if things are a little bit scaled down and the power is a little bit lower, then this is exactly what a midrange deck wants. It's able to answer problems able to fix your hand, set up future turns, and then it's just a threat on its own. And you get whichever one you need, or you get all of them. And if you ever get all of them, like the amount of cardboard you are generating for this format and investment should be very, very large. Uh, yeah. The amount of theoretical cardboard. So I, I'm a fan of this card. I, I think it has a lot of potential, again, in mid-range builds. Because of the way mid-range has to be built these days, it's just got to be very modal, very uh, like kind of flowing, and adaptable in its plans, and this card leans very well into that. All right, the next card is Rada's Firebrand, which I don't even remember reading. I put it on the list because it had a lot of text, and that it does. Now I'm reading it now, and it's like, eh, it's fine. I, whatever. One R three one creature human warrior. Whenever this attacks, target creature defending player controls with power less than this thing's power can't block this turn. Hold on, killing a bug. Get oh, it. God. It's, Get it. it's crawling all over my microphone. I live in a basement, so this this just happens occasionally. Uh, how, how is it on your microphone? That's a weird place for it to go. Well, so my microphone is on my desk, right? And it was like crawling under my microphone. And I was like, yeah. Got it. Was I'd, it I'd like, avoid that. Was it particularly creepy or just like a standard bug? No, nah, it was, this it was very small. It wasn't, it wasn't like an ant or anything. I don't know, whatever. We've had a lot of animal incidents when we've been speaking lately. We were on the phone the other day. Uh, doing non-podcast stuff, and I, I had a snake incident in my house yeah. while we were talking. Uh, I actually have have video of that because it was recorded on like my my home security camera. So maybe I'll share that with the folks. It was it was an interesting encounter, to say the least. <laughs> I it wasn't it wasn't an incident. It was like you were you were gifted by its presence. I was, yeah. I I, I mean, I love snakes, and uh, this one was like in my crawl space, slithering around, and saw it on okay, the camera. So, and- so for the folks. Folks listening, this this is what happened. I'm outside walking around, talking to Brian on the phone, not not like video chat or anything, right? Yeah. And we're having this conversation. We're in the middle of a thought. Yeah, and like then, mid-sentence. And, and Brian is just like, hold on. I saw a snake on my, my video feed. It's in my crawl space. I'm like going to go say hi to it or whatever. And then <laughs> Brian video calls me to like, show me the snake. He's walking around in this crawl space and he's like, is this thing poisonous? I don't know. And it's like, Oh, he's like kind of coming for me. I wonder, you know, if he's going to bite me, like, am I, am I going to die? And Brian just like inching closer. I'm just like, dude, what are you doing? Like, just like I'm on video, like watching the snake and just like begging Brian to like back down. He's just like, no, I just want to pet it. There's not a lot of poisonous snakes around me. I'm pretty sure it was what we've referred to here as a corn snake. Um, I mean, sure, man. But like, A, you could just get off the call with me and, you know, Google it or whatever. Yeah. B, kind of. it's non-zero, right? See, so you could just not. But you're like, ah, it's like... Five percent poisonous. I like those odds. Let's go pet Mister Snake. Even if it was poisonous, it probably wouldn't have killed me. Probably. 
So I was willing to take the chance to just say hi to a snake. Oh my god! I'm, but I have I have not seen the snake since he seems to have crawled off. To I, I mean I don't know how he got into my crawl space, but hopefully he's there eating mice, living his best life. Yeah, I was gonna say you, you gotta leave him some snacks or something. He'll come back. Yeah, hope so. Anyway, in the middle of a conversation, just like we we're in the middle of this card. Yeah, uh, that tells you how interested I am in this card. I mean, it's like fine. I don't really have anything to say about it. I don't see the potential for like an aggro domain deck yet, but that can always change based on. Yeah, what's I, I didn't even finish it. It had. I, I didn't. Get oh to shit! Recently, do that clause. Okay, yeah, go go for it. Domain five R. This gets plus two plus two until end of turn. This costs one less to activate for each base land type among lands you control. Activate only once each turn. Yeah, it's like red beat down, but like with a domain thing. Is that? reasonable is there going to be domain aggro if you are a bunch of colored aggro is this the most powerful thing you can do in that slot probably not so it's kind of weird to me but whatever domain as activated abilities on a lot of these cards is kind of strange to me it doesn't like yeah it's technically domain and we're on dominaria but it's not it doesn't it doesn't feel like a callback to like the old mechanic to me it's it's basically like a new mechanic but you're, okay. you're trying to like fuse it with the old mechanic that kind of did a different thing. Yeah, I didn't I didn't have that impression of it, but I also like obviously I, I know domain. I've played my share of domain cards, tribal flames, the pump spell guys, my all, all those are within my range, but I don't have a strong attachment. So do you remember what the original set for domain was? Invasion. Invasion, yeah. So invasion was like not a huge point of engagement for me. I didn't play a ton of invasion limited. Brian. Uh, yeah. The the invasion pre-release was my first sanctioned tournament. That's that's awesome. And that's why you have such a huge attachment to this mechanic whereas I Correct. I don't quite have it. Uh so that didn't strike me as weird, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I guess I don't really have the same tethered opinion of domain that you do. Activated abilities seem within the range. Because this has happened before, right? I'm I'm pretty confident there's domain activated abilities. Maybe it was in a set that didn't have like actual domain attached to it or something or maybe this has existed but I, I probably didn't like it then to the point where i blocked sure. it out also yep that's fine so i don't know it's also weird because the the way that actual domain worked where it was like you know it was basically like you play a spell or something and then the spell gets powered up for it for for free effectively so you don't have to pay like more mana or whatever yeah, like yeah. For, for these things it's like you always have to pay mana even though it's it's cheap right or it gets cheaper uh, but it was just like cool to have this spell that's like always going to cost two and then it's going to do varying things depending on whether or not you've you've worked hard enough to get to the point. Right. And, right. and I don't know. This is like. You do the thing and then later you kind of work for it and then yeah, it's just thing. cost reduction. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It, it There's something about it that just feels so weird to me. And I'm not saying that everyone should feel this way. I'm very much realizing that this is maybe just a me thing. And I don't know why my brain just can't handle it. You know what I mean? I mean, that just points to how deep our attachment to magic themes and time periods and mechanics is where there's this like imperceptible weight weighing on you because this doesn't resonate with you as traditional domain. And you, you can't even like put it into words, but you know it's there. Yeah, it, it is probably me fighting to maintain my nostalgia. You know, it's just like, sure. I, I want domain to be this thing even though it's a thing that can go on like one or two cards per color in the set. Whereas domain is just actually a legit mechanic in this set and is on a yep. bunch of stuff and yep. in different ways too. So yep. anyway, two mana, three, one 
attack, a thing can't block. That's that's okay. These two Fine. mana three ones generally don't show up. Usually there's there's other stuff. There's like a thing that's more aggressive or a thing that gives you a little bit of added utility or just even a thing that has haste. Like that's usually good enough. So Yep. Squee. Dubious Monarch. 2R, 2-2, legendary creature, goblin noble, haste. Whenever this attacks, create a 1-1 red goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. You may cast Squee from your graveyard by paying 3R and exiling four other cards from your graveyard rather than paying its mana cost. This is not bad is a legend, which is both, you know, pro and con where you can't go like turn three, this turn four, this, mm-hmm. and just to have armies attacking or anything, but there are legendary payoff thingies and four mana exile, four cards. Like that's a thing you can do once or twice a game. That's not bad. Not the most aggressive thing ever, but as far as, you know, you want a, a little bit of a sticky threat in your mid range or beat down deck or whatever. This seems perfectly reasonable to me. Very nice sideboard option as well. Uh, when you're dealing with like spot removal decks and you just need to kind of wear them down, this is a, a really good option for doing so. Th- this squee hits me the same way as Braids did last week, where I'm a I'm a really big OG squee fan, and this card doesn't feel squee-ish enough to me. But I like absent the squee part of it, I do quite like it. Like I, about, I think it's an interesting card. What about the last squee? From uh, like yeah, what was the, the like? It's like on the on the tip of my brain, but I can't even think of what the last squee was. It's like one RR two one. You can cast it from exile. Yeah, I, I played that card more than I should have possibly. Like that still felt very squee ish to me. Man, why did I play that? I had that in like some weird sideboard spots where like I thought it was the way to solve a matchup, and and maybe it did. Honestly, I, I remember you doing that, and I remember me thinking that, that that was not the way. Yeah, that sounds right. That's generally how these things go. Um, but. Yeah, this one, not quite as squeeish to me. So uh, thumbs down in that part, thumbs up as far as a playable magic card that I think has a home, especially as, like like I said, in that spot removal scenario where you want a sideboard card to get a little bit more card advantage out of your mono red deck. This seems like an excellent sideboard option. I think just in, in the mid-range decks, right, with, like, you're making two bodies, attacking planeswalkers, this is the thing that yeah, can, can do that get too. discarded to Fable and... The, the Dragon War and stuff and get it back later. And also those cards are filling your graveyard to make it so you just have the gas mm-hmm. to be able to keep casting this thing. I think that that stuff is is all pretty reasonable too. Yeah, it's um, a question of how good it attacks in that matchup. Like, can you realistically push it through and like actually get one ones more than just like once? I think so. But yeah, we'll see. Either way, it's, it's like uh, two of or something. You know, it's not a thing that you're... Playing it a ton of and being super happy with it. This does kind of feel squee-ish to me, but this is it's like the domain thing, man. I don't know. There's just something about it where I'm like, yeah, this is squee, and you're just like, no, it's not. Nope. Like, All right. Nope, not a squee. Okay, cool. Move on. Sprouting Goblin. 1R, 2-2, Creature Goblin Druid. Kicker G. When this enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, search your library for a land card with a basic land type, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. R, tap, sack land, draw card. Grizzly Bear or 1GR Civic Wayfinder with an activated ability. I, I think I did not appreciate Civic Wayfinder enough the first time it was around, probably because I was too busy playing like fairies and Revel Arc and whatnot. Yeah. And then I appreciated it a little too much. Yep. And I might still be in that spot. And now you're giving me like the the modality, the ability to like sack land draw a card. I'm I'm kind of loving this, even though I feel like I shouldn't. 
I feel much the same way. I, I love everything about this card. I want it to be good. It would have been unfathomable 10 years ago and like, like the best card in the set. And, you know, it wasn't even 10 years ago that you had a Civic Wayfinder analog as one of your best cards in the set. So maybe maybe your best card. What set was that, that in? I don't remember. Uh, I mean, what what analog are you actually talking about? There's there is a spot where uh, there's definitely a top ten list where you had the Civic Wayfinder, whatever the last one was that showed up, you had it as your number one card in the set. Well, let's let's not talk about that. Okay, I was probably wrong. You oh, you were wrong. You were one hundred percent wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it may have even been like a, a super powered set where it was just like the furthest thing from the best. It's card, like but. that, and then five cards that get banned or something. Yeah, and then, yeah like that versus Oko. And like, oh, we're going to go with Civic Wayfinder here. But It's I, close, but you know. Yeah. Look, I know where all, my heart lies. We all make those mistakes. That's totally fine. But I have, I have very much the same opinion of you as this card where love it, want it to be great. It's probably good. Like, I'll, I'll probably find a spot to play it, but it's, it's not going to be a pillar of the format. When this enters the battlefield, if it was kicked... Search your library for a land card with a basic land type. Reveal it. Put it in Get your that hand. that triome, baby. I know, but there's like 17 lines, right? Where it's just like, this is the sort of stuff that I wish that they could shorthand on magic cards. Where it's like, eventually they keyworded mill. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I don't so, think they worry about that anymore. <laughs> like, I just, I don't think they care. I think I they're know. fine with word bloat. I know, but I don't, like... Battlecry is so clean for ETB, right? Why have they not keyworded ETB yet? Yeah, I, I would like to see that. That's true. I think that solves a lot of issues. It yeah. does. Uh, Herloon Battle Hymn, 2R, instant. Kicker dub. This deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker. If the spell was kicked, you gain four life. Uh, cards like this have seen some sideboard play usually it's like five damage or it can't be countered or something along those lines where a red deck needs to kill something a little bit larger this thing can be like a war leader's helix for a control deck which saw some amount of play i did always feel like it was pretty clunky but there are definitely instances where you'd much rather just have the three mana version right war leader's helix had the added ability to also go face if you cared about that so this is losing a little bit of that. I, I think that this card is okay. People maybe are going to like it more than they should. And generally, I'm looking for like the cheaper interaction, not the expensive, like powerful stuff. So I'm generally not excited by like War Leader Helix type things, but I feel like this was good enough to talk about. Yeah. I mean, you could, again, if the format breaks a certain way, you could see this being a very, very important cyborg card and things like aggro mirrors, red aggro mirrors that have access to white mana. This could be a huge, huge tempo swinging, but you know, who know who knows if things go that way. And I don't think it's like that powerful on its face that you have to talk about it. It's just going to be a tool that you should be aware of. Fires of victory. One R instant kicker to you. If this was kicked, draw a card. This deals damage to target creature or planeswalker equal to the number of cards in your hand. There have been a lot of decks that I have built that are blue red nonsense where. I always want, you know, some two mana thing that's like five to a creature or planeswalker, right? And this scales very well. And I could definitely see some decks where, you know, if you're just doing like Drago, playing various card advantage things, you could find ways to keep your hand pretty full and it scales well into the late game. So probably not a card that you play like four of necessarily, but 
I like the idea of this card and am unsure whether or not it will have a home. Like there's, there's still a lot of like good blue red shell stuff, but those decks aren't necessarily drawing hard cards so much as just like filtering and trying to like dump their hand basically. Yeah. And it has to look like a traditional control. Like if, if there is a traditional control deck that is within red blue, so be it Jeskai, be it, is it, just very traditional, draw some cards, kill stuff, uh, maybe big threat at the end, you know, Hullbreaker Horror type deal. This card seems incredible to me. Like, the fact that you can answer things, you just answer so much, right? Like, you're usually, if you're playing that type of archetype, you're so reliant on countering things like, say, Kaido or any kind of early Planeswalker, like a Liliana could be absolutely devastating should it hit that early. And I just think this gives you so much flexibility, scales very well into the late game when you get to kick this and, you know, do it in your end step and you're still not down a card. That's important for the next one. I, I think there is a theoretical, very traditional control deck that could go as high as four copies of Fires of Victory. Like this could be the key removal spell for them. Uh, again, that's about Odds. Uh, 25%. And it's, it's less about this card and more about the reliability of playing that style of control in present day magic. But a card like this makes it more tenable to me because it is so good at covering so many bases, scaling into the late game. So this pushes me to want to at least explore that option where I think that's been a really, really losing battle to fight for quite a period of time. Agreed. Uh, Electrostatic Infantry, 1R, 1-2, Creature Dwarf Wizard, Trample, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on this. This is way generous than they used to give us. Yeah, trample with this effect is a, a big deal. Um, and it's just like permanent counters versus, you know, plus two, plus O or whatever. Like com compare this to like Query and Dryad or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't stack up well for old Query and Dryad, which was a vintage staple for a period of time. So things, things have changed. This card is, it's gas. Uh, hopefully enables an archetype because I tend to like Cards like this, I tend to enjoy playing them, uh, and it just goes well with a lot of other spells that presently exist. So this is this could be an important one. I I don't think the support is there yet. I think like you're still going to be floating more towards mid range at the start of this format, the way things have been in standard for a little while now. But if things start to change, it's possible this card is a big part of why. Yeah, I have to go through and just get myself acquainted with how many, you know, like ancestral anger type things are there just like cheap cantrips or, you know, homestead courage, like those sorts of things. How many enablers for like these heroic type decks there are. Yeah. But I, I don't know, even stuff like this has been able to fit if in, in like, if you're doing like a enigmatic Drake thing, yep. right. With like hottie gin or something like could be that thing and the gin and just like a bunch of, removal spells and card drawing and stuff like that'd be perfectly reasonable if, if yeah. the tools were there. Yeah. I mean, we're already talking about some interesting uh, removal spells. We have another one in red on this list that we'll get to in a little bit. So there are some interesting tools here. Phoenix chick R one, one creature Phoenix flying haste. This can't block. It's cute as hell. Also, whenever you attack with three or more creatures, you may pay RR. If you do return this from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped and attacking with a plus one, plus one counter on it, R11 flying haste that like comes back. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't block with it. I wouldn't want to. Look at no, this. I'm not, it's I'm not trying to block. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to push some damage here. And uh, this card again, that like modal 
type deal where you just get to play this on one and you're you're pushing damage early as you often want to do with red there is like a little bit more reach in the format that we've been used to with lightning strike coming back around so you do have some options for direct damage where that early damage can be more meaningful than it was when the games were more about battlefield presence and just like reaching this huge end game uh if, if there is enough for each if there is enough potential for damage something like phoenix chick could be a big part of it so very cute very adorable card that could actually be a format stable in my opinion yeah so you need to attack with three or more creatures so that makes me want to look into anything that is like potentially going a little bit wider you know maybe some token generators or whatever squee i was gonna say squee is both like another recursive thing to go with this and also does help you make tokens and everything so i think those cards go pretty well together they certainly do and you know both of them play out of the graveyard very well so if you find ways that you're doing like you know you probably want to be card neutral so faithless looting not exactly what you're looking for but effects like that are pretty promising in these type of shells and you might just have a nice little card advantage engine and you're able to both get aggressive pretty quickly and play a little bit longer game by playing from your graveyard. And those type of red decks are always really exciting when they come around. Agreed. And the card that you said is good, that you made me add, is Flowstone no. Inclusion. Uh, hold oh, on. Our instance target creature gets plus two, minus two until end of turn. You only put this on the list because of Dreadhorde Arcanist. Yeah. That's, that's okay. definitely a part of it. Okay. But like in, in heroic shells, this can matter. Uh, in spots where like Bruh. You know, this, Bruh. this place they- totally fine pushing through your last bit of damage with electrostatic infantry and also being a removal spell early. So They don't care about removal spells most of the time because they just ignore what you're doing. They mostly do not. But again, format context is everything. Modality, is, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like like Immolation saw spot play, and I would almost always, I guess there's like some exceptions to that, but a lot of times I would rather have this over Immolation, so. Yeah, Luris is better with Immolation, I guess, but for the most part, Instant is better. Yeah, Death Shadow often, uh, or like Traverse Death Shadow could look at Immolation as well. Sure, yeah, yeah, okay. That's red, not bad, nothing... You know, blowing the doors off or anything, but a lot of solid utility and role players. I yeah, cool like, stuff. I, I, I think it's like a really fun part of the set, actually, is, is the red red set of cards. Yep. On the green, Silverback Elder. Two, GGG. Five mana total. Five, seven. Creature Ape Shaman. When you cast a creature spell, choose one. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. Or look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a land card from among them onto the battlefield tap. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Or gain four life. Untap with this. Going to do some stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, this is this is a beast when you untap with it. And the, no, the body's no, it's, huge, It's too. still an ape shaman. Oh, uh, sorry. My mistake. It is a 5-7, though. That is very large. And it's going to be hard to... You know, fires of victory, stuff like this down, which is kind of cool if that becomes a thing. Yeah, this this might be the best card in the set. And what? Yeah, it really might be because here's here's the thing. Like, it's very easy to say, oh, you know, if I do this thing and I untap with it, it it's just fine. But the fact that it's triggering every time, like, how easy is it going to be in scenarios? And this, uh, I'm just repeating myself, but all contextual. But if there's creatures that have come into play draw a card and elvish visionary type effects 
and you start chaining some number of them into this card and you're just revealing the top of your library over and over and over and you're getting your mana larger and larger and then it translates to hydroid crisis type finishers like this is all very non-existent as it stands right now but in terms of a card that creates just snowballs that will take over the game this card does it really really hard it protects your life total really well and like granted you have to get to the point where you've played your five drop and you still have stuff left so decks will have to be built around that idea but you can do that like nissa was in some ways very similar to that type of setup and like cavalier of thorns was not a card that Anyone besides me liked when that card was previewed. Nobody thought that card had any legs. And now it's That's across cool. multiple formats. Very, very good. And it just did this effect one time. And the way that snowballed games was so dramatic, it could just take over. Silverback Elder has a much, much lower floor. You just play it and it dies. That sucks. That's not really interesting. Way higher ceiling, of course. Ceiling is ridiculous, though. Just it, it, like game-breaking ridiculous, quite frankly. Depending on the matchup, yeah. I mean, you play this against a control deck or even like a mid-range deck or whatever. This thing, it doesn't feed itself, right? Like like you said, you're going to need Elvish Visionary type of things. You need a way to be able to continue to fuel this thing. And I think that is the thing that kind of holds it back for me. But also, I mean, I guess how many times do you need to actually trigger this thing? I don't know. Yeah, also like... It's 5-7 for 5 mana. And, like, is Cavalier of Thorns getting you the extra land in the control matchup, like, always what breaks the game? Or is it just, like, I have a Cavalier of Thorns? No, I mean, it, it helped. It helped for sure. I think Cavalier was a better stabilizer because of reach, but also yeah. that's con- format contextual. Yeah, it is. I mean, if it's a five-turn format, then yes, absolutely. If it's a six-turn format without a removal spell that really deals with seven toughness all that well and you just like play two creatures, gain a life, that's a hell of a stabilizer as well. So and in some cases, actually even better because the presence lasts after the creature leaves. So I think the ceiling is just so, so high in this card. It would be foolish to ignore it, but it needs supporting pieces around it. If it gets them, then it can be an absolute staple and maybe one of the best cards in standard. Yeah, I mean, this is a card that I look at where, I don't know, there are various, you know, green-blue sort of decks where you do want to play some early acceleration and some card advantage creatures and then have some amount of stopper for the aggro decks and hopefully, you know, your three and four drops are kind of doing that. And yeah. then maybe you're building to something bigger, right? Like there's some end game thing that you've built your deck around like Hydra Crisis. And this is definitely a, the type of card that I want access to where, you know, you have the disenchant, it can do the thrag tusk thing where you're like gaining life to help you stabilize, but also does feed into your late game stuff. But yeah, stuff like this is like, all right, maybe you play like two of it main or like you sideboard some copies or whatever. So that's kind of how I was looking at this. But yeah, if there if there's a thing where you're just like, no, I just jam four, this is kind of like the focal point of my deck, then... Uh, I'm interested in that. Kind of skeptical, though. Yeah, like like this leading into Titan of Industry is a combination of ridiculous green cards that go very well together. No, that's, that's good. That's good. There's okay. Joint Exploration in this set, which is a quasi-explore, even if it's three mana. like That, that effect is still powerful uh, and, and plays well with this type of stuff. So uh, what, I, what I don't see right now is like the Hydroid Crisis. And it's not often you get a Hydroid Crisis. So... That's kind of what's going to determine whether this is realistic. All right, we'll see. Vidalian Mindsinger, I mean, you know, 
give like th that is a creature that is a stopper that also goes well with this sort of thing. Yeah. That sort yeah. of deck, right? Maybe. Maybe maybe like the defilers, there's something there to combine those effects. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at a lot of expensive creatures at this point, but it's worth exploring. Yep. All right. World spell, five GG enchantment saga, read ahead. Chapter one and chapter two are the same. They are look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal a non-saga permanent card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Chapter three, put up to two non-saga permanent cards from your hand onto the battlefield. Damn, look at that. We've got our Ape Shaman in play. We'll back it up with a with a Titan, and then we're just going off. We didn't even spend mana on that turn either. We we're just we're, we're rolling from the world spell, so... World spell is not a creature to trigger the thing. Titan of Industries, also we'll seven fine. mana. We'll be fine. We're going to have all the mana in the world. But I mean, like, this is quasi tooth and nail, right? And I think that effect is also very scary and makes me want to do these type of broken things and huge mana things. So yeah. a lot of pull. And these, these effects, They've defined standard recently. Like think of Emergent Ultimatum and just the seven mana metagame. That's what was the thing for a very long time. Yeah. One of the things is just find the biggest, most powerful thing that you can be doing and do that. And then the format has to warp around. It's like, okay, well now is there like a red or white aggro deck? Is there some sort of like blue counter spelly deck? Yep. Does the, is it, you know, mid range combo control thing? care about the big stuff that you're doing like all the decks that are viable are viable because of how they interact with the biggest thing to the be biggest doing thing in the correct correct and these things are very big so yeah if your deck is like well i put in two titan of industries on turn five or something it's like well that that is the constraint of the format your deck has to be able to deal with that or not care about it yep urborg lurgoif 1g star one plus star Creature Lurgoif, kicker, U and or B. As this enters the battlefield, mill three cards for each time it was kicked. This thing's power is equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard, and its toughness is equal to that number plus one. We talked about some lovely cards last week with the like all creature self mill deck, make my creature cost less or make my stuff bigger or whatever. Yep. This is the thing that benefits from that and is also enabler. It's not yep. it's not the most efficient, but it's not bad. Slowish. Uh, like it's it's certainly not Stitcher Supplier, and you're not off to the races on turn one. Again, it's just about how many of these effects can you compile together, and this could very well be part of uh, that uh, that amassment of effects. Defiler of Vigor, three GG six six creature Phyrexian Worm Trample is the green, I give my stuff, Phyrexian mana thing. And then whenever you cast a green permanent spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Five mana, six, six trampler. Keyword big. Uh, certainly a standalone threat. Kind of just goes off in some scenarios and makes your battlefield huge. Again, you need materials. So things like Elvish Visionaries, things that replace themselves when they come down. In conjunction with the filer of vigor, I don't know, man. Th this is the one that stands out to me as like the most clearly powerful one, and I think that is that has to do with green being a color that is very incentivized to use its permanence. Things like you know we don't have an exact one to one comparison with Oath of Nissa in the format, but things like that often exist in green. 
that you can leverage and even, even like smaller things like uh, abundant growth type effects are going to be very good with something like Defiler of Vigor and just mm, true. loading up your team really fast. So this this is an exciting card. Yeah, I was mostly thinking in the context of creatures, but you're right. Enchantments definitely play. Yep. So that's interesting. The thing that's kind of weird to me between this and the Quirion Dryad thing is that it's like, oh, keyword big and grows and also just has trample stapled on. Normally we have to work for that. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, this this is really good, but they just chump block for a while. So we need like a God's Willing or Griff Spoon or something, right? And these are just like, no, nah, they're going to get big and they're going to kill you. Yeah, and, and we talked about like combo potential with these cards. This is another one that screams about a lot of combo potential to me because it is both like the enabler and your kill spell where it will just pump your team. So you just go like accelerant, accelerant, hit this point, and then your deck is like, all Oath of Nissa's and Abundant Growths. And, you know, if you find some way to generate a bit of mana through that constraint, maybe you just went on the spot. Yeah. I think I think people are going to end up building some really cool decks with these with these cards. They're cool. They're really cool cards. I, I think they have the potential to be broken. I don't think they're facially broken, but they're, they're higher risk, but they're very high reward because I am quite fond of them, so... Uh, Leaf Crown Visionary, GG, 1-1, one, one. Creature, Elf Druid, other elves you control, get plus one, plus one. Whenever you cast an Elf spell, you may pay G. If you do, draw a card. Good. Yeah. Elf decks can generally generate mana, and normally they have to play a pretty bad card to sort of get this effect, but now you just have both worlds again, kind of like the trample and get bigger stuff. Yeah. This has some potential to go infinite in some spots, I think. Like, it, it's obviously way harder than it was with Glimpse, but when you do, like, super-powered elf things in the older formats, like, probably not Pioneer, I don't think there's enough support there, but certainly Modern, there's a chance that this, this allows you to go way infinite, way easier than you would expect. Uh, even if it's not Glimpse, there's still a lot of room for this to be good, so. Yeah. Uh, Quarian Beast Caller, 1G, 2-2. Two, two. Creature Dryad Warrior, whenever you cast a creature spell, put a plus one plus one counter on this. Whenever this dies, distribute X plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control, where X is the number of plus one plus one counters on this. So Grizzly Bear gets bigger, dies, trigger, spreads its counters. Uh, 20 years ago, card would have been busted. I still think this card is fine. Like, you think back to Mono Green Aggro decks, this probably would have made the cut. Uh, there was a period where we were particularly hungry for two drops, and I think this would have been good enough. I think some of that stuff persists through this new format, but it's it's not as cut and dry as it was previously. So, again, this card a lot about its support. Yeah, I think I think this is okay. I think it makes the cut sometimes. I think generally your opponent is able to play around the dies trigger. You know, it's like mm -hmm. it's, it's very rare that they have to kill this, and then that allows you to utilize the ability and then your opponent's still in a bad spot. Like they'll just kill your other thing in a lot of instances, right? It's weird how just like the five cards we listed before, it's like, wow, this is like a lot of stuff, but can we do anything with this? And this is like a tame version, you know, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. Lanawar Green Widow, 2G43, Creature Spider, Reach Trample, Domain, 7G, Return this from your graveyard. Huh? You wanted to give it Delirium. Then. I did. I did. 7G. Action. 7G, return this from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. It gains if 
this permanent would leave the battlefield exiled instead of putting it anywhere else. This ability costs one less to activate for each basic land type among lands you control. Three mana, four, three, reach trample can be recurred once. I, I think this is reasonable. Not good, but it's okay. I could think of formats where this card would have been quite good. Like the the Crackling Drake formats, you would have been very happy to play some some number of these and just trade off a couple times per game and try and keep parity. So this feels like a niche card with some niche applications. And I still I still don't see like the, the big domain payoff. Like there's nothing that makes me want to do the domain deck yet. Uh, there's the, the sweeper that is solid. And I think there was another black card where I was like, oh, are we supposed to be black base? I don't remember what. Maybe it wasn't even a domain card. Maybe it was just like, oh, well, you have the sweeper and you have Liliana or something. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about herd migration. 6G sorcery domain. Create a 3-3 green beast creature token for each basic land type. Among lands you control, 1G, discard this, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle, gain three life. It's, uh, it's like kind of powerful and modal and just both sides are like clunky though. So I don't know. They are. This, like you said, modal, this does feel like one of those newer styles of mid-range card. I don't think I believe the rate to be there. Uh, I'm also not sure that like, even if you're paying seven for five, three threes, I think like when you're, when you're talking about the seven mana metagame, right. And you can do something at seven mana that just kind of ends the game. I don't think this passes that test. I, it, it just doesn't compare. And like it's, it can't because it has this additional bonus of like fixing your mana. I don't know. You're, you're right that both sides are a little unimpressive. Sometimes though, that the card is more than like the sum of its parts and the flexibility is worth it. So I, I'm keeping an open mind about herd migration. I don't hate it, but not rushing to build decks around it. Yeah. It basically depends on if you want a thing that helps you set up attached to your win condition or not. And if you mm-hmm. need that, and then I guess, you know, maybe it is a thing that you get to use now to set up and then you kind of like recur it for free with something later and then you just get this big win condition from it. Yeah, that could be good. That setup could be fun. All right, last green card. Terra Sunder, 1G, instant, kicker 1B, exile target artifact or enchantment. If this spell was kicked, exile target, non-land permanent instead. I played Unravel the Ether mm-hmm. and the clone, forget the name of it, to like kill worm coil engine in Jund at some point. So there is precedent for this thing being relevant. And then yeah, the kicker, the kicker solid, right? You get to kill a planeswalker yeah. or something instead. Nice little removal spell, uh, very modal. And if artifacts or enchantments are important and there's a couple good ones, uh, enchantments in particular, like a lot of the removal, the white removal is enchantment based. So this card will be nice to have around and then it cleans up wandering emperor instead in the late game. Sign me up. That sounds like a good, a good tool to have. It's it's a clunker and the disenchants are not that good. Like I would much rather have the disenchant be on a body than just on a spell as a direct one for one, you know? Yeah, but like like that card is just it's just playable. Like exile target artifact or enchantment. It, like you said, it's it's made the cut before. I think that card is completely fine. I still have naturalized in sideboards sometimes, so like it seems really good. Oh, I don't. Okay. That's just the me thing. <laughs> Uh, on to the gold cards. Brian's favorite. A Johnny Sleeper Agent. One G dub and then hybrid Phyrexian between green and white. Have we had that before? Is that what Tommy yep. was too? Yep. 
Oh man. Yep. Tommy always completed in exactly the same way. And I'll tell a story about that after we talk about the card. Okay. So four mana total. Our Arkite has been infected. Four starting loyalty. Legendary Planeswalker Johnny completed. The H Phyrexian can be paid with G dub or two life. If life was paid, this Planeswalker enters with two fewer counters on it. So you can pay it, play it for three mana, two starting loyalty. Uh, plus one, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature or Planeswalker card, put it into your hand. Otherwise, you may put it on the bottom of your library. Minus three, distribute three, plus one, plus one counters among up to three target creatures. They gain vigilance until end of turn. Minus six, you gain an emblem with whenever you cast a creature or Planeswalker spell. Target opponent gets two poison counters. Uh, you sound like a big fan over there. Uh, the... Like three mana planeswalker can like give you some some filtering or whatever. Okay, like that's all looking good. And then it's just like I don't know, you get some counters and then the the alt has like nothing to do with anything. I, a lot of potential here, Brian. Yeah, and I'm I'm not sure it delivers on it either. And actually I think the completed mechanic had the potential to be really cool. It's just a miss for me. I I don't like this like weird take loyalty counters offer. It's just not exciting. And when I was doing consulting stuff on Kamigawa, I basically said as much about the Tamiyo. I like it felt like it was a moment, like a really exciting moment in terms of a new look for planeswalkers and a potential three mana card and all these things that are like whoa, this should be a standout card of the set. And I'm like, actually, it just kind of sucks and it's boring. And I I think that's panned out. I think that that card has kind of sucked and been boring. But I was also like, oh, I, I don't know where you're at with this completed mechanic, but I hate it in this form. And I think it would be way cooler if it did something like alter the Planeswalker when it came in. So my suggestion was like all the pluses just become minuses if you did it as a completed Planeswalker. So it can never go up at that point. But obviously... I didn't know they were already deep in this idea. And I'm sure like a Johnny probably already existed at that point. So yeah, uh, you know, wasn't really useful feedback, but it just on the whole, I, I do not like these completed planeswalkers. I don't find them all that interesting. And I think they should be like the hallmark cards of the set. And I think this is the second one in a row that's going to fail. Yeah. At the, at the very least, I would want the first one to hit. Yeah. But it doesn't have to, you know, cards, Cards can be appealing for different swaths of the player base. And I think before there may have been more of an argument for like, well, this is a big story moment. This is a cool thing that we're doing a lot differently. This is a mechanic that literally exists on one card in the set. And we're going to be like slowly rolling out over more sets, presumably. Yep. And I would want the first one to make more of an impact, but what that impact used to be was marquee standard play. Yeah. But that's, that's the thing is like, I didn't think it had to be good. I thought it had to be interesting. And I don't think these are interesting. Like I don't, they're just like a cheaper planeswalker sometimes. And like that decision isn't all that interesting to me. Yeah. No, that, that is completely fair. I, I, I agree with you. I am also like I'm good at giving that feedback, but then they're like, okay, fix it. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know. Like my brain doesn't work that way. You know, again, give me multiple choice. Yeah. And for your thing where it's like the pluses become minuses, 
I, I don't know if you could figure out a thing that like looks good and works for that or whatever, but just that idea in theory sounds cooler to me. I don't know if that, you know, works with the lore, right? Like if you get completed and now you're only doing minuses, it means that you're eventually going to die. Like is them being completed, like actually going to kill them or whatever? Because if not, then that's kind of silly, right? Oh, I have no idea. Like it could uh, look, I'll be the first to admit I could totally fail on that axis. I, I don't know exactly how completing works and I'm sure whoever designed this knows more about it than I do. And it's probably doing a better job of reflecting it flavorfully than I would have. I will concede that wholeheartedly, but I still think I would have made the more interesting card. I would think that, again, I don't know this, but I would assume that completing them kind of like makes them more powerful or whatever, at which point the f- less loyalty doesn't make sense to me either. But aren't they, aren't they kind of like, hmm, I might make a complete ass myself here. Aren't they kind of like being consumed by the completion and like losing agency and control over their, uh, like, like they're in service of the Phyrexian army at this point. And so as such, if you have to give yourself in service to the Phyrexian army, you, you will. You will minus yourself to nothing. I don't know if it's minus to nothing. Well, like we're, we're just making stuff up at this point. But you know you know what I find now that I, I do make a bunch of cards is that like if if you have the thread, you can kind of reflect like you, you can you can make it work. You can always find a way to like it's not quite retrofitting. It's more just creating and like justifying and you can go too far with that. Like you can justify things that should never be justified. And that certainly is a danger, but you can also justify a lot of things that are not maybe facially obvious. You know what? God, it's weird too. Cause it, like no matter what in the story, a Johnny is completed, right? Like a Johnny is Phyrexian. It's not mm-hmm. like if you don't pay the Phyrexian mana, then he's not completed. Mm-hmm. Right. But a thing that I was thinking was like, you know, maybe it's it's four abilities, and then if you pay the extra mana, you like, you know, lose the Phyrexian ability, but you get the normal ability or something. Sure. And then if yeah, you complete cool. it, it's it's reverse, right? Like maybe you lose the good ability, but like you have this other one. Yep. I think that that sort of thing would be cool. Obviously, it's weird for a paper card. You know, you want to do this in alchemy or yeah. But if know. you if you set off the text box, like I, I, as soon as you said it, I could visualize what you're talking about. Like you could set off the text box in a certain way, and and I think you could make it work. Well, yeah, it just like comes into play with a Phyrexian coin on it or something. And then you can only use this if it has the coin, yep. blah, 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 whatever. Yep. Anyway, this is, this is dude, really not our, our job or purview whatsoever. That's true. But I, I wish Johnny had like bigger numbers and more cohesive abilities and just like generally kick the shit out of people. Uh, and then I would have no complaints. I'd be like, yeah, slam dunk story-wise, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> just perfect. <laughs> Rith liberated primeval two and some naya mana so five mana total two rg dub five five legendary creature dragon flying ward two other dragons you control have ward two at the beginning of your end step if a creature or planeswalker and opponent controlled was dealt excess damage this turn create a four four red dragon creature token with flying big flying threat five five is like pretty good stat line at five mana for a flyer you know if at four four the cards kind of like miss cause they don't dodge enough removal spells or whatever or sweepers. Yeah. And you know, five, five is like pretty big. Ward two is good. I don't know how much your other dragons getting ward two is going to matter all that much. And I think, you know, it's pretty sizable non-zero amount of the time you have actually dealt excess damage or something. So I, I think this card is like pretty powerful and pretty decent, but I don't know if this is the type of thing that you're looking for in standard necessarily. 
Yeah, and it, it doesn't quite cross the power threshold. Like one of the things we've done wrong in the past where like we'll see a powerful card and we'll go, oh, there's not really a home for it. This isn't quite powerful enough where like I'm willing to carve out a home for it because it's doing that much. It just feels like it's like supposed to fill a niche in a specific deck. And I I do agree that I think you'll get a good number of 4-4 four, four red dragons, particularly in terms of like this card's role playing play challenging planeswalkers and even when like it doesn't necessarily challenge a planeswalker it prevents an opponent from like playing a planeswalker and minusing for value and just like using it as a life cushion because then they're going to face down a larger dragon so it has a chilling effect on planeswalkers that haven't even been played yet which i think is sort of an imperceptible thing about the card that could be very good but i don't i don't know where i want to play this i don't i don't really have a spot for it right now like maybe that mythical we need we need to stop doing that just like straight up no but but there's like there's times for that. Like I, I think there is a threshold where the card is powerful enough that you make a home for it. But I don't I don't think this is that power level. Like I don't think that's actually there. I don't think it has to be powerful enough for you to make a home for it. I just think that we need to be more open to the idea that like these these homes are going to exist just because we don't see them yet doesn't mean that they don't exist. But okay. also also, yeah, dude, last standard format, like there there were Naya mid-range decks. There's like Gala Greeters. Fable, uh, Black Market Tycoon, like those sort of things. Like, yeah, these, these decks literally do exist. And I mean, at that point, do you play Rith? I don't know. Like, I'm leaning no. They're right? so like carried by Goldspan Dragon, right? And this is so far from that. But those those decks weren't even necessarily playing Goldspan. Like, really, some, some of them were uh, like War Chief, whatever the Thrag Tusk, fake Thrag Tusk, dislike. But fair enough. Fair enough point. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, I, so just like evaluating under the lens of like, uh, I don't know, uh, basically like, yeah, you know, like the, the blue dragon, like I'm or whatever. Yep. Yep. You know, five mana four, four had ward when it was untapped. It's like, I, I, I know the feeling I had when I cast that card and had this thing that was sort of untouchable. And I know the feeling of the four, four body, and how well I felt it held the ground. And, you know, sometimes it was like, oh, yeah, this is this is bananas. And then other times it was like, this is too small. And I think like 5-5 five, five would have made a, a pretty big difference in that regard. Yeah. Yep. And even then it was like, all right, I have to like tap out, spend all my mana, play this big thing that's like kind of protected. And then if I untap with it, maybe some cool stuff happens. And it, it was really hit or miss for me. But like... The, you know what I mean? It's just like the, the feeling of the effect that it has on the game is is a thing that you can think about in regards to this. And it's like it, there were good moments and there were bad moments, right? So I can I can envision this card showing up in some of my decks as a result of that and me feeling like pretty reasonably happy with it. But also that format is way different than this one, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But I, I mean, if anything, I think that there are fewer cards in this format. Maybe there are more playable cards, which is the actual metric that matters and, you know, higher power level in general or whatever. But that's, yeah. that's more so what I mean, you know, just like th- think about how this card would like feel to cast versus like, what is the rest of the deck? Yeah, Ward two has proven itself to be sort of better than it looks on its face. I it's think really good. Do you, even, yeah. even like the Rafine Ward one yeah. on a four toughness thing, you're like, damn it. It closes off a lot of options, at, at least at advantage. Very, very hard to get advantage at that point. Yeah. Anyway, we gotta we gotta remember Rith. We gotta check back in. Not for Rith specifically, but as far as like 
did our perception and approach change as a result of having this conversation or yeah. did you just get like annoyed and tune out? I don't know. No, I'm, I'm with you. I look, I'm always willing to challenge like the way we approach things. And I guess like you're, you're trying to dive wholesale into this idea that like you can't cancel cards for that purpose. And I think there's still like a level of grayness where I'm expecting a threshold for them. And I could very well be wrong. I like, maybe it's just incorrect to do so. And you should just keep open about it, especially when you're dealing with like in this range, like things that have a very outsized battlefield presence. I think it may be even more important to stay open to their uh, viability. So, yeah. And that's, that's kind of the thing is like, I've never really gotten burned by that. I mean, there's definitely a lot that you can gain as far as spending or wasting mental energy, you know, talking about cards, thinking about cards when you could just, cross them off the list automatically. Right. Mm -hmm. But that has almost entirely just burned me where it's like, Oh yeah, I just assumed that this card was not playable because of X, Y, Z reason. And then it's just like, Oh, I, I could have had this additional tool in my arsenal the entire time. And, you know, sometimes it's also just like a card that ends up being like one of the most relevant things in the format or whatever. Yeah. So it only burns us when we just like cross stuff off the list, especially when it has a bunch of appealing words on it. Yep. Yeah, I I guess too, like I should do a better job couching my opinion of it. I I don't necessarily want to cross it off the list. I think like there is anything just like this big, this battlefield presence generating with a little bit of protection probably never crossed off the list. I would be unsurprised to see like one of these show up as the top end in something, but you're right that I have to stay open to the idea of just four of them being the thing too. And like this being the actual card that can take over the format. So. I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> stay open, Gerald. Anyway, We're staying open anyway. now. Uh, Soul of Wind Grace, one BRG, four mana total, five four legendary creature cat avatar. Whenever this enters the battlefield or attacks, you may put a land card from your graveyard onto the battlefield tapped and under your control. Uh, G, discard a land card, you gain three life. One R, discard a land card, draw a card. Two B, discard a land card. This gains indestructible until end of turn. Tap it. I'm I'm torn. I love everything about this card. Okay. I don't I don't know if it's good. I yeah. really don't. I'm I'm not sure. But like in terms of making me want to find out whether or not it's good, it does a very, very good job. You know, this has that turn of vulnerability where shields will not be up. But after you, that you, maybe you get some value off it. You could, yeah. You you know, you play it with a it scales very well. You know, you play it with five floating and you could get a little bit of life. You play it with Seven floating, and it just might be safe for the entirety of the game and never vulnerable to your opponent's removal. And every land you draw forever becomes something important. Seems cool. Seems like a very, very cool tool to have access to. And y- you know that the ETB doesn't target, right? So you can, you can like play it on five ability on the stack, discard a land, and then get it back. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. That's, that's a huge, huge upside for sure. So I, I'm torn because I want to like this, but also. Even even with, like, okay, if I'm set up to utilize this card, hopefully I have found a way to put a land into my graveyard somehow. Fable of the Mirror Breaker solves all your problems, whatever, right? Yep. But then I'm just like, is is this even good enough, or is this, like, past Jerry getting scammed? And I'm, I'm kind of wary about getting scammed, but this is, this is the kind of scam that I might just sign up wholesale for. A lot of it's going to depend how indestructible indestructible is, I think. Like, how much is that actually protecting this card against the removal of the format? Maybe. I mean, 
even if indestructible doesn't work, you know, you're playing this, you have three mana open, they're like, you know, exile it or whatever. You still get to, you know, cycle your lands. You got to land back or what? Like, is, is that bad? Is, you know, seems tolerable. Body's good too. Four mana, five, four, nothing to sneeze at. So would love a four or five, but it is what it is. Yeah. You can trade there. All right. Air tie resurrected. 2UB, 3-2, legendary creature, Phyrexian, human, wizard, flash. When this enters the battlefield, choose up to one counter-target spell, activated ability, or triggered ability. Its controller draws a card, or destroy another target creature or planeswalker. Its controller draws a card. So, Mystic Snake, Chupacabra, but, like, they're drawing the card, so it's not card advantage, but you're getting a 3-2, so it's kind of like, you know, you're just on parity, which is probably fine. I think this card's not going to be good enough. I really want it to be. We just, we just got burned by a similar Mystic Snake, uh, the name of which I have now forgotten because nobody ever played it. The exploit one? Yeah. And not, I guess maybe like, that's making me a little Mystic Snake gun shy at the moment. Card quantity tends to vary in importance across formats. So like, there's some formats where giving your opponent this card is going to be whatever. There's other formats where you never want to do it under any circumstances and you're just not going to come out ahead on a three, two. Uh, a lot of it is like, is it one of those seven mana formats? Like it, are there spells that just matter more than anything else? And that's all you have to challenge. I need more context before I declare this card to be either good or bad. It's versatile and versatility is usually worth something. It's, man, it's versatile at a high cost though. It, it's very hard to come out ahead with this card is what I'll say. So something else you're using has to put you ahead. Yes. And that can be exactly. fun. And, um, and maybe you can put the body to work, right? Yeah. Like 3-2 can attack planeswalkers or crew things or get equipped or get sacrificed or whatever. This deals with things on the stack or in play, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, recurse, recursion's always on the table. It's legendary, which blinking. is pro and con. Oh yeah, blinking, sure. So I don't know, but like, you know, four mana is clunky. It it is not Mystic Snake like you're up you're up a card or whatever. But I think in a lot of those instances, that's not really the thing that's doing it for you. It's it's tempo, right? Yeah, or, I'm, I'm kind of talking myself into it via blinking. Actually, like that that seems very tempo you, positive when you can answer things in play. You do have a problem with what's that? Not, no, just I don't know your blinking problem. Yeah, your teleportation circle. Yeah, yeah. The person. Fair. Right. Fair. I'll admit that. So. Depends on the kind of deck too. Like blue black, this is kind of like mid rangey, right? If if there is such a deck, like Esper mid range, I guess qualifies, right? This is yeah, this is probably a card you look at. I mean, there there was already the Esper one that Vensard stuff that yeah. I liked a lot in the versions of the format that had a lot of four mana stuff, like all the Goldspan Dragon decks. Like you kind of needed that extra uh, interaction, and I think that this does a pretty good job of that. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to try that, actually. Sure. All right. Maria, Scholar of Antiquity, one RG33 legendary creature, elf artificer, tap and untapped non-token artifact you control, add G, tap two untapped non-token artifacts you control, exile the top card of your library. You may play it this turn. This is the one card on this entire list, I think, that I was just like, I don't care about this for standard at all. I want to talk about it in the context of other stuff. Yeah, so what are you looking to get up to? Uh, alongside uh, Maria. I, I don't know. Because, you know, non-token, well, that sucks. It's a big limiter. Yeah. Yep. 
so then then what you know things like arkham's astrolabe would be absolutely absurd right like any artifact that replaces itself uh or if you just have artifacts lying around normally because you want them to be this gives you a little bit of an engine which is cool but then it's like this card is green red right so like what does that deck look like basically i don't know but i want to find out it asks a lot of questions and green red has occupied some of this type of space recently uh there's the what's the flip card that has set up a bunch of combo stuff recently narrow it down uh it is a five mana creature and the backside is like a card advantage source and everyone at home is screaming the name of the card at this point and see some fringe play in like even modern combo decks and what oh god you can play cards from exile like get exile stuff and you get to play cards beardy yes thank you but yeah, Beergy type stuff. Now that 10 minutes later, we've gotten to the card I was trying to speak about. Uh, this has floated into red and green recently, these types of setups. So um, I'm not super shocked to see this type of card here. It's wild. I like it. I just, yeah, the, the colors make it weird for me. I'm sure that there's a lot of stuff like this that existed before where it was like, oh, well, we can't use it because we only have one of these or whatever. Well, now we have more. Or yeah, yeah. there are ways to just have this be a splash in an otherwise blue artifact deck or something. Uh, the, the downside of course is does your deck do anything if you don't have this card specifically? It's going to be tough. This is a very unique effect and you're going to play a lot of bad cards to enable it, I think. So yeah, but like uh, also does this just go into paradox engine or something? Probably. I don't know. Always the first question I ask when I see cards like this, that reference artifacts paradox engine feels like it's ready to be broken always. So yeah, card is cool. Sten Paranoid Partisan, dub U, so blue, white, 2-2, two, two, legendary creature, human wizard. As this enters the battlefield, choose a card type other than creature or land. Spells you cast of the chosen type cost one less to cast. One dub U, exile this, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Basically, I was like, this is another brawl, effectively. Well, I guess Brawl is both, right? Instant Sand Sorceries. Hmm. In yeah. some decks, that's not going to matter. In, in some decks, it won't matter. Uh, a little bit more flexibility, too, in terms of protecting itself. And like you said, redundancy is a big deal. So yes. if you have another Brawl, that could be the difference between having a deck and not having a deck. And, you know, we kind of saw that with Brawl having a big impact on, on Storm, it just being another Goblin Electromancer. It's like, well, do you want a third? Goblin Electromancer? Probably not. Colors are getting a little weird here, but you know, in other formats or in other setups, this could be extremely useful. So I'm I'm at least half interested. And certainly we know these cards always have potential. And it's not even like small participation in a format potential. It's like breaking a format potential. So what can you do in standard if you just name Planeswalker? Can like turn three to fairy to fairy emperor, yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah, and then you get to reset to another type, which is really cool. Like you, you have achieved that thing, and then you need to like get your mana so- source for Teferi. So you find a way to cheat into that realm, and I don't know. You can get some cool tricks with this. Maybe uh, to drop a legendary creature, you know, Mox Amber type of nonsense. There's also like yeah. another card in the set that I kind of like, but we'll get to that in a bit. Erg, 
Spawn of Turg, BBG, Star 5, Legendary Creature, Frog Beast, Erg, Spawn of Turg's power is equal to the number of land cards in your graveyard. At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. Uh, BG, sack a land, gain to life. Is is big and uh, maybe okay with Soul Wind Grace. I have nothing to say because I don't want to disparage Erg Spawn of Turg because I love so much about it. Uh, I also don't want to overhype Erg Spawn of Turg Dude, five toughness. Five toughness is so much. It's a big butt. Also, you can like alter some battle toads onto here or something. I don't know. Yeah, a lot of a lot of altering potential for sure. And All right. Obviously, big frog fan, so I'll probably play a little Eric Spawn of Turk. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, uh, rehome it into the pond. Yeah, seems fine. At your place, Baird, Argivian Recruiter, R Dub Two Two, Legendary Creature, Human Soldier. Beginning of your end step, if you control a creature with power greater than its base power, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token. Th- there were some Boros, you know, kind of modified decks in standard, and this mm-hmm. is a thing that is okay stat line, that scales well going long. Love these cards. Feels very easy to enable this card, and should just be a very consistent source of 1-1 White Soldier creature tokens. If you were able to convert those to a useful resource, card seems pretty good. On to the colorless cards. Karn, Living Legacy, 4 mana, Legendary Planeswalker Karn, 4 starting loyalty, plus 1, create a tapped Power Stone token. It's an artifact with tap, add, C. This mana can't be spent to cast a non-artifact spell. Minus 1, pay any amount of mana, Look at that many cards from the top of your library, then put one of those cards into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order so the Power Stone mana can be used on this. Mm. Minus seven, you get an emblem with tap an untapped artifact you control. This emblem deals one damage to any target. I think the ult is good. The plus one is good if you have stuff to do with it. The minus one is okay once you are going. It's slow as hell. This doesn't like, affect the board at all. It's very strange. Very strange. Very slow. Just like glacially slow. Not particularly fast to arrive. Uh, doesn't protect itself all that well. Or at all, frankly. Probably the worst Karn. Right? And that's, you know, good competition. Karn has always been... Very good. I don't know, man. Uh, actually, the only thing I've really found that's interesting about it is, as you suggested, like uh, playing New Baral and reducing Planeswalkers and just having a bunch of these on, on turn three. and then. Oh, hell yeah, let's go. I wasn't yeah, even thinking stay. about that. I was thinking about how if this costs three mana, I mean, I, 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 would, I would try it at least, you know? Yeah. It, it, well, it we doesn't do stuff. That. Yeah, we have a way to make it go to three. And then, you know, if you're doing that and then into Teferi and then you're eventually going to... Uh, a large artifact mana endgame, which we are about to speak about. I, don't, I, I need a I need a conclusion to all of this, but like there is some parts of an engine starting to come together there. It's weird that the Karn makes tokens, and then the emblem is, oh, you made a bunch of stuff. 
you can use these to deal damage. And then there's the red green card, but that card doesn't key off tokens. And this thing is, is like very much keying off tokens. Mm -hmm. Kind of frustrating. Yeah. Uh, It's hard. It's hard to really like get an identity sense of this card. Like what is it supposed to do here? Maybe it is story related. I don't know. Could be. Maybe Karn is just pinging stuff down with a bunch of power stones. Uh, Timeless Lotus, five mana legendary artifact. This enters the battlefield tapped and you can tap it to add uh, one mana of every color. So tap to add Wooberg. It's sort of weird. This card doesn't already exist, right? Like this is kind of, very, uh, yeah, kinda. very I mean, just clean, obvious. The, the Lotuses were like, choose a color, add whatever of that, right? Yep. Gilded Lotus, of course. And Teferi, who sets the sunset or who, um, Teferi sunset, whatever untaps artifacts. Right. So there's like Teferi that with sunset this. lover, I believe is the name of it. Yeah. Big, big fan of sunsets. watching sunsets. So that is cool. I, I may or may not play around with that. I imagine everyone else is going to do it. So I probably don't have to. Yeah. But this is, this could be part of that package of the Karn fake Baral Teferi setup. And yeah, I, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It'll be fun. People will have fun with it. Who knows? A lot of mana. And some sometimes that matters. We talk about finding the ceiling of the format. This could very easily be the ceiling, for sure. Also true. Uh, last colorless card, Relic of Legends. Three mana artifact. Tap, add one mana of any color. And you can tap an untapped legendary creature you control. Add one mana of any color. There was definitely a period where I would look at this and not be impressed whatsoever. But uh, a group of... Japanese player showed me what's up at the champions block PT with honor worn Shaku mm-hmm. and pretty similar card, except it, it just did it with colorless mana. And it was, I don't know, man, it was just a thing that everyone thought was like unplayable, but they're like, there are a lot of legendary things. And that means that you just get these turns where you get like an extra three mana or something. So that can translate into you playing like Godo bandit warlords and stuff like that. So now I see a thing like this and my, my like spidey sense goes off and it's like, maybe you should investigate this. There's something here. This is probably better than you would have thought it was otherwise. So yeah, thinking about could, like, the, like three to six is a ridiculous jump. And yeah. if, like the format is defined by six and you can do this reliably, then this will be an important card. And th- there were like the bard class decks that would yeah. have loved this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So who knows? This could be a thing for lands. I guess I'm just going to get this out of the way first. We have six pain lands. A weird number, but I don't care. What? I'm, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a purpose. I don't know what it is. I, ideally the next set has the other four. I mean, they've, they've done this with like pathways and the, I still don't, we don't even have a name for the other duels. The, the reverse black leaf cliffs. Yep. Fast lands. I don't know. Slow lands, slower, yeah. but not fast. So I, I don't like pain lands. I don't like life total tracking. I do think that there were some of these that were, you know, $20 at a car waste at some point or something. It's like that, that should probably not be a thing. So these things definitely deserve a reprint. Uh, I think, you know, the art on these looks very good. Very cool. Yeah. But as far as these being like the things to do in standard, I'm not super happy about it, but like, whatever, you just got to, you know, go through it for a year and a half and it'll be fine. We, we do have to talk about a huge problem with these cards though. Which and, is? Well. Digital? No. What happened to Hot Tub Demon? Like, is, is Hot Tub Demon dead? 
Oh and yeah, a skeleton now. I I it, can't accept it, that. It looks like well, okay. The flavor text is everything is flammable in the burning aisles, even the man itself. So yeah, just, he was just chilling in the springs too long, just melted. I've been there though. You know how it is when you're like in the shower and you just have like a real hot shower going, and you just don't want to get out, and you're like, well, if I if I melt, so be it. And then you get out, and you're just like all red. Your skin is very irritated. Yes, yes, that is how it goes. But you lived your best life for a moment, and I, and I think that's what Hot Tub Demon was ultimately doing in the Sulphur Springs. So just, just fell asleep. Do you? I I when I moved into this place, it's within uh, seven months or something. At some point, I I took a bath. I was like, I haven't taken a bath in like a long time, right? I'm just gonna take a bath. And I, yeah. I found out a thing, which is apparently I can fall asleep in the bathtub. Yeah. Just like hot tub <laughs> So, you know, hey, it happens. I'm, I'm not judging. I'm just sad. That's what it really comes down to. Yeah. I had a nice little nap, but it was like, I, I you know, could have died maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, two other lands want to talk about kind of Plaza of Heroes, land, tap, add C, tap, add one man of any color, spend this mana only to cast a legendary spell, tap, add one mana of any color among legendary permanents you control. Three tap, exile this, target legendary creature gains, X-proof and indestructible until the end of turn. This is very generous and I love it. So you get to yeah. get to add colorless. You get to cast your legendary spells. Once you have used this to fix mana for your legendary spells, then it fixes mana to like cast the spells, the key off the legendary things. Um, very generous. Talk about cards that, that Bard class would have loved. I mean, this is like... Absolutely, yeah. A huge way to make that deck come. Uh, and... Legends look important again. Like we mentioned, a bunch of legendary creatures in this set. Uh, some things that key off of them. So maybe there's something to this mana engine and just being able to protect your legendary stuff via Plaza in the late game. Last card Thran Portal. Land Gate. This enters the battlefield tapped unless you control two or fewer other lands. As this enters the battlefield, choose a basic land type. This is the chosen type in addition to its other types. Mana abilities of Thran Portal cost an additional one life to activate. All right, here's the thing. <sighs> Searching and shuffling sucks. Yes. It, it just is awful. Hell yeah. This also sucks. <laughs> but I, yes. I do think... Yes! I do think if I had to choose, I'd probably go with Thran Portal as opposed to the Search Your, your Deck stuff. Um, oh my god, man! Yeah, I, I mean, I wish we were just doing like the the token land thing or something else. Like the tracking on this is terrible. Like you said, the life loss thing is annoying in paper, but nobody plays paper standard anymore, so maybe that won't matter. It's fine. I it's it's a problem without any good solutions. I think, and this is a good effort to find a solution, and better than like the last efforts we had to do this type of thing. So improvement, still not great, getting better. It's a thing that helps with domain for constructed, potentially. I mean, yeah. I think the, the domain decks probably will be like two or three colors, maybe splashing like one or the other two or whatever and trying to just backpack off of triumphs and whatnot. And then this thing can potentially get you the other one. It's not like great at fixing your mana if you are really heavy multicolored mm-hmm. and it's this good is good for early turns though like setting up those aggressive starts which is really nice for a land like this no that's true are you talking about like if you're domain aggro or something yeah yeah yep. sure but the the problem with stuff like this is that i think 
you know, whenever you're constructing like a limited mana base, I think that this comes into play a lot where you're talking about like, well, I have like, you know, 10 sources of this and nine sources of this and three and two and one source or whatever, right? But the problem with counting sources like that, and I think to some extent people kind of do that in Constructed too, is that this thing, yeah, it, like, you know, if say you play four of this in your Constructed deck, you count it as like a source of all the colors of mana, but like once you play it, it's just that. It's, it's no longer the other sources, right? It's not yeah, like you it's draw way this. closer to a half source than a full source. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair, a fair way to look at it, where... You, you play this and you're like, well, uh, mathematically, I have enough sources. Why can't I cast any of my spells or whatever? It's like, because this on paper, this counts as every source. But like once you're actually playing the game, it doesn't. Right. That's why. So be be wary of that, I guess, in whatever context you you feel free to use that. It's just like playing like five color mana bases with in limited with like panoramas or evolving wilds or something. You know, you're like, oh, I drew a forest and an evolving wilds, and you're still mana screwed. Be more conservative than you have to be with your mana. That's that's always my advice. If like, if, if you're at a level of experience where you're asking questions like that, then my advice is just like be more conservative than you think you should be. Yeah, I I tend to err on the side of I want to be able to cast my spells for sure versus well, on paper, you know, the numbers say it's okay, so I'm fine, right? It's right. like. Well, I literally need a green source in my opener to be able to keep like that is my mulligan range. And you're like, I'm going to play eight green sources. And it's like, that's that's cutting it close. You know, I would I would want nine. I'd be happy with 10. Right. Yep. Lean toward safety. So that's that's just it. That's just kind of the thing. That's where I'm at. And this this land is going to mess up some people and. Maybe less for limited because it's rare, but even just in the case of like building constructed mana bases and stuff, you're like, I have enough sources on paper. And it's like, you don't because you looked at it wrong. This isn't technically one of each source. Anyway, that's it. Protect your mana bases, friends. Protect them. They're your greatest resource. We're going to do top 10, hopefully in a couple days. I'm free. Brian, are you going to be free? I'm going to try and be free. I'm free-ish. Free-ish, free-adjacent. Yeah. And as of right now, I basically have no idea. So I guess that's what I'm yeah. going to be doing for the next couple of days is try to figure this out. Yeah, definitely have to put it together. I have some candidates, but yeah, certainly no like, oh, clear number one, clear top five, nothing like that. It's, it's going to take some work to put it together. Which is cool. I, I do like that aspect about these sets. They have a bunch of cards that appear to have... Uh, you know, like playability fit in certain places. They give you reason to explore and, and try new things and everything. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, never mind. Goldspan Dragon was, was still the best thing or whatever. Right. But yep. no Goldspan Dragon anymore, though. And I know, but other, there's, a, there's, a, there's a different Goldspan Dragon. So it's, you know, whatever. We'll see. We'll see. It'll be, it'll be interesting. It's fun. I like this stuff. And I just, I want to, to be conscious about saying that. And, you know, we're, we can be negative a lot of the time. Even I think yeah, I'm very hard. positive about this set. I, I think there's a lot, a lot good here and I'm looking forward to uh, rotation and, and playing with these cards. Me too. All right. See you in a couple days. Hopefully our top 10 list is not terrible. No promises, uh, but either way, we're going to have fun. Game.
Good luck.